Hi, I am Chitra. I am Madhvi. I am Jyoti. I am Suchitra. Together, we are your hosts on the Edge Podcast. We bring you stories and experiences from our experiments around learning, marketing, and design. These are stories of people, technology, and people interacting through technology. Of what we see, create, and recommend. Have you found yourself ordering the same menu item every time you visit your favorite restaurant? Do you find yourself accepting the default option in a strategic interaction or sticking to the current baseline or status quo when you are overwhelmed with choices? Listen on to find out what the status quo bias is and why we tend to leave things as they are. Hi Jyoti and welcome to all our listeners on this episode of the rarely rational series as we call it hi chitra glad to be back with another episode so today we're going to explore between ourselves what the status quo bias or the default effect is and uh, we'll also take a look at how we've perceived it within ourselves in our environment why it happens and what is it that professionals in the field of ux can take care of or be aware of when this bias comes into play so uh, jyoti let me start by asking you a few simple questions okay. so if i were to ask you what's your favorite go to comfort food what would you say dal and rice <laughs> <laughs> and then let's say that you know this weekend you had an opportunity to just get away with your family for the weekend do you know which place you're likely to go nandhil okay so i think those two questions had relatively easy responses right because you you knew what you wanted but i was just wondering you know what happened recently was that i had had a bonus from a few investments and uh, suddenly i had this lump sum and uh, was struggling to figure out where i should invest it i spoke to my investment advisor mm-hmm. and she gave me a few options and but yet when i looked at my portfolio i wanted to default to some of the options that were already existing there versus take a look at the two or three new options that my advisor had sent to me make the effort of going through all of them doing a comparison and then making a decision uh that's because i knew that my existing uh, options that i had in my portfolio had given me decent returns in the past but i did spend a good half day with this little tug of war going on in my head and then i just finally did defaulted to the default we like we tend to leave things as they are yeah, yeah. so this reminds me of uh, example like recently i had to renew my car insurance the insurance broking company sent me a link with a list of insurance companies and their uh, prices i just took one look at the list and immediately went ahead with my existing insurance like without even giving a thought uh, to look at other offers even though they had better prices right i guess this is another example for default to the status quo. I didn't want to bother about making a new decision. Yeah, I think, you know, where we're heading to is like the simpler questions or the relatively simpler questions like what our favorite food would be, which is a restaurant that we would love to go to all the time. I think they're very clear. For example, I know what color I want to paint my room if somebody were to ask me. But answering these questions or taking decisions around the questions that we just explored, I think are much harder. And that I think brings us to what the status quo bias is which is a preference given to the present state of affairs or a natural bias towards the current or previous decision it seems like an emotional bias <laughs> yeah it does because you know someone said that the dial 
dilemma that we are faced with is that as humans, most of us don't like change. We love it at the same time, and uh, we yet we really want for things to remain the same, but at the same time get better. <laughs> no wonder we call this podcast rarely rational. There's a conundrum right there. Yeah, where you want better things, but you are not really ready to make difficult decisions. Yeah, and I think you know what revealed itself in the two instances that you and I spoke about just now, where you took the default choice with respect to your car insurance, and I defaulted to the investment options that I already had was basically a loss aversion and mm-hmm. trying to avoid a choice paralysis, mm-hmm. not being too overwhelmed with the number of choices, which are two distinct characteristics of this particular bias that manifest in people and the decisions they make and the choices they make. I think we assign greater weight to the potential losses that could result in making an alternative choice than to its potential gains, right? Yeah. That's what uh, loss aversion would mean. Yeah, and, and there's also a transactional cost, right? So, for example, my kids have a good time laughing at me whenever they see my uh, extreme pain, frustration and anxiety when I have to change over to a new phone. And even before the phone arrives home, I'm already thinking about how much time I have to set a side to transfer data from my old phone to the new phone hmm. uh, how much time I need to make sure everything is working what all do I need what are the list of apps that I have in my old phone that I absolutely need to have in my new phone and all of that and then of course there is okay if it was a transition within the same brand to a newer model I think that was somewhat simpler but there's always the excitement and curiosity about testing a new brand and that comes with its own onboarding challenges I'd say because you every phone has well, there are some basic features that are, that work pretty much the same across all devices. But then there are those that are unique. For example, brand A has its own default options that you need to get familiar with and so on. It's a laugh riot for others at home while they see me struggling. And I'm always worried, did I miss out on something? Even though, let's say, I set aside typically half a day to do this whole transition, it takes me a good one week or 15 days to finally feel comfortable with the new phone. And then, of course, at the end of the month, you realize suddenly in the middle of a call that hey the silent button on this phone is completely different from what it was in my previous phone and then you excuse yourself from that meeting step out actually switch off your phone and do something <laughs> as absurd yeah so yeah so that transaction cost i think is another reason for why the status quo bias manifests and what i would do is just try and drag on as long as possible to use my old phone as far as it would go rather than you know, switching over to it new phone. Uh, is, is it also like people stop themselves from making a more advantageous option out of like fear of failure in certain cases where you perhaps have more to lose or it's assumed that there is more to lose? Yes, <coughs> I, I think people do that as well. I think there is something called regret avoidance, mm-hmm. if I recall right, alongside loss aversion. And it's also a question of uh, why should I take that risk? So if I go back to some of our episodes, we are Cognitive responses developed in responses to the threats around us. So I think some of that also still operates where we perceive any change or something that we are not familiar with as a potential threat. That Mm -hmm. will cause us some emotional.
emotional despair mm. at the end of it and then of course today uh, i think we mentioned this briefly in the previous episode as well is that we are overwhelmed with so many choices and and this happens to me all the time when i'm trying to shop online is that the very fact that it says along with this people also bought this and very often i find myself actually panicking saying i don't even want to see it i just want what i want please don't show me more and more <laughs> yeah, things i can imagine that. <laughs> totally and yes. then i find myself going in circles and very often thinking i'd spend far less time if i walked into a shop saw what i wanted mm-hmm. bought that paid the bill and walked out versus sitting in front of a screen for hours not yeah. able to you know make up my mind simply because i'm overwhelmed with the number of choices that i have yeah. and i often feel that at the end of it i come away feeling that it was a waste of time or you know how much time have i spent simply aimlessly browsing but i think uh, the modern even the brick and mortar stores the supermarkets have also figured out how to uh, you know use this against consumers where they package similar items together and they keep it on shelves where you're like okay you buy this and then oh maybe i need this too <laughs> yeah you're not as lost as in an online shopping uh, environment but still there is a way for you to uh, at least uh, get lost in maybe these large supermarkets where they that's use true. this uh, that's true that's true yeah it's not that they have less of a choice it's not that maybe you're expending that much less energy there but yeah what you said is very true and i think another way where we see a lot of the status quo bias manifesting is i think in personal care products like shampoos and skin products you're so used to it where uh, and i remember that you know everybody gave so much focus and there was so much hype around a particular brand of toothpaste of course because it was endorsed by a lot of people in white coats yet once you started using it you found it very difficult to break away from that particular brand of toothpaste because you you had the sense of security that it was actually doing good to your teeth and gums and so on mm. whereas you were also had were receiving perhaps conflicting information or too much information about other brands that were saying that the one that you're using is really not that good so there again you see cognitive miserliness of the brain mm. wanting to default to a status quo yeah. and uh, just trying to keep things the way they are in fact i read that scientists have examined the neural pathways involved in status quo bias and they found that uh, the human brain finds it tougher to take action when the decision to be made is perceived to be more difficult we are also like tending towards inaction just because you can't make a more critical decision and you stick to the default yeah in fact i think a lot of that plays into how user experience design and researchers into what they go through rather especially i've seen you know there's a people are trying to introduce a new feature in a product and the user experience researchers are trying to talk to a group of customers and very clearly are noticing that there is a reluctance there is a resistance to change and they really don't want to come back and tell the product team that hey these guys don't really like it so uh, whereas internally their objective tests that they have conducted have revealed that the newer feature is perhaps the better option so you know i think in some in such cases how do ux researchers really beat the bias so based on my experience i've seen that if you're able to sort of tell a before story and a after story mm-hmm. uh, in a way that doesn't appear that you're selling it mm-hmm. okay because that's a different kettle of fish altogether and contrast it very clearly between the as is and to be states right i think that's one thing that ux researchers can deploy when they are doing either interviews or talking to existing customers before 
putting a new feature because customers do tend to get put off for example we all know that if there is a slight change in a user interface on an app or a product that we were so used to using it just frustrates us right and you're worried you're suddenly worried what's happening here mm-hmm. Yeah. Am I giving away too much data? You know, what am I doing? Yeah. Why is this button not in the place that always used to absolutely, be? Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. The other thing that's also happening now is ever since the data privacy laws came into effect, and you find that almost every second website that you visit has a you know, cookie setting and the disclaimer policy. I wonder how many of us actually go and click through and see. So, in the way I've been testing it is because nearly every website is doing this. I actually take that minute, go and open it. And if you see, the only thing that they have on is strictly necessary cookies. Hmm. Of course, now what are strictly necessary cookies is not something that every website discloses. And I think if I may say, Facebook exploited this to some extent in 2009 when it came to their uh, privacy policy. And uh, most people used the default option there. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, that's my grouse right now is what are strictly necessary cookies. <laughs> Yeah. And all the other ones are the ones that you can turn off, except that. Yeah. Uh, and at the same time, I've also observed that when you say no thank you, when you don't accept it, you can still continue to find the information that you need on that page. So those are you know, some of the things that I personally done to try and beat my own bias. But I think if user researchers, one tip for them is to tell the before and after story and actually uh, leave that with the users. I think see. that is more ethical yeah. in using yeah. this uh, status quo bias for consumers, right? Yeah. In Um, fact, uh, I I think that's in the interest of knowing or uh, getting first-hand information from users, you understand that they are resistant to change, but you also know that you know introducing this new feature is beneficial to them and the product. So it, I think, it empowers the product team to be able to take more informed decisions. I think I came across this term called uh, the framing effect. That's mm. how you frame the default option as you know a loss. So you're making you're projecting another option that you want the consumer to take as a better option. Yeah. So that way you would give the choice to the consumer and help them you know make a decision instead of just sticking to the status quo. It's, it's interesting you said that because the second point was to actually have a default option to reduce the burden of choice. And I again I'm going to go back to the browser security policy options to say that if only people took the pains to say what strictly necessary cookies were, I think I'd do a lot less of what I was doing. So but the the tendency to view the default option as the most popular choice is something that people will demonstrate if there is a default option. So so that is something that uh, can be used by user experience designers to reduce the burden of choice. Yeah, I think that is one of the pros of sticking to the status quo. Uh, the default choice is better in cases where uh, time can be spent in making more important decisions, freeing up your uh, mental resources, right? Definitely. And uh, the third uh, thing that uh, you know UX people can also look at is remove rather than add to the plan. Yes. Right? So in some sense, that is also reducing the burden of choice, yet some people may call it simplifying, right? The number of options that they have. So let's say that uh, if there was a situation where you had a number of steps to follow to configure something, if uh, there is always the principles of uh, abstraction that one could apply to make things simpler, uh, and that could be shown to users saying that you are not losing anything, mm-hmm. you are not, uh, in fact, you are going to save time. And and we have effectively reduced the number of steps that you need to configure something. Uh, so one of the good things that I've noticed over the last couple of years 
on e-commerce sites is you know the fact that I I remember back in the day you had your billing address and shipping address you actually had to painstakingly type it. Hmm. Whereas now at least should I use the same your, address? The same address for billing and shipping. Right? It's it's just making things simpler. And earlier, if you had to apply codes or if you were getting discounts, you had to go back and forth from the checkout screen. That has also been minimized now. So there have been these small steps that people can take where you can you know reduce the complexity. So hmm. coming back to point number three, it's remove rather than add to a plan. Yeah, I think this feature can also be used in a dubious way where if you're taking, for example, the instance of installing a software and you have already a certain list of items already checked and you wouldn't notice that there's a small thing, it's also checked to install a piece of software that you don't want. And you just say, okay, okay, until the, uh, until the last screen and then voila, you have something that you don't want along with <laughs> what you had selected, right? So I think that is where you can see like a dark pattern uh, you introduced. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, personally, if you ask me, this is something that when, when uh, UX folks are doing wireframing and prototyping, you can actually make things a little more clearer, or things a little more transparent, which is something that users are largely looking forward to today. And uh, place it appropriately such that it's visible in the path of their user journey at the point when they are going to actually complete a transaction or take a decision. Uh, I think that's something to consider. So I think I'd like to add this as a fourth point here is that consider using different methods and techniques together in user research. Just don't default to using a single technique. Uh, which could be either only doing user interviews or only relying on surveys. You know, try to enrich the whole discovery of the user persona, their needs, their pains and so on by using techniques like a day in the life of and the customer journey. And then putting all these together and then deciding what, how you want to improve the product or, or how you want to build a new product. So I think we've covered quite a bit in this rarely rational series with respect to biases that could influence decision making, right? Mm-hmm. And that was what these four episodes were about. So thank you very much, Jyoti. And I would also tell our listeners that periodically we will be covering groups of four biases under the series called Rarely Rational as part of the Edge podcast. And we hope you find these useful and helpful. So thank you very much, Jyoti. Thank you, Chitra. subscribe to the edge podcast on your favorite podcast channel we are on google itunes spotify stitcher and more if you like this episode please share it with your friends if you have stories to share and want to be featured on our podcast write to us at podcasts at adepticlabs.com